The Death of a Relic Hunter Charles Bethia Don Troiani is a painter of carefully researched American military scenes who also collects historical artifacts. If you're a collector, he told me recently, you have to be fully prepared for your end, because all of a sudden people you've never heard of will be at the door. We were talking about Bill Urquitt, who died a few years ago. Urquitt collected many things, but what brought him some acclaim and a fair degree of notoriety were Civil War relics, which filled his home in southwest Atlanta. He was divorced, so there was stuff everywhere, Troiani said. Confederate belt buckles, swords, guns, and photography of Confederate soldiers. Like, five Confederate battle flags. Battle flags are particularly sought after by collectors. They literally marked the battle lines, where soldiers from the North and South died by the tens of thousands. Robert K. Whitman, who founded the FBI's art crime team, writes in Priceless, How I Went Undercover to Rescue the World's Stolen Treasures. A particularly valuable flag was stolen in the 1980s from the Atlanta Historical Society, now the Atlanta History Center, where Urquitt worked as a curator. It had been hand-sewn in New Orleans in 1862, it was seized by a Union soldier during the occupation of Atlanta and carried on the Northern Army's march to the sea. It ended up in a New Hampshire antique store, where it was bought, in 1938, by a couple from Georgia. A Confederate flag, stolen in Atlanta during war between the states, comes home, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported. The couple donated it to the Historical Society. Decades later, Urquitt noted its disappearance in a letter to a historian. But the society, wishing to avoid embarrassment, never reported it missing. Sign up for the daily newsletter. Our flagship newsletter highlights the best of The New Yorker, including top stories, fiction, humor, and podcasts. Email address. By signing up, you agree to our user agreement and privacy policy and cookie statement. This site is protected by reCAPTCHA and the Google privacy policy and terms of service apply. Urquitt resigned from the job in 1992. Several months later, he starred in a three-part investigative series on local television, The Lost Treasures of Atlanta, which was billed as one whistleblower's 10-year search down a disappearing paper trail. In the series, Urquitt describes security at the society as pitiful and alleges a cover-up of multiple thefts. The trustees of our history are plunderers of the past, he says, listing half a dozen missing relics. Society officials furnished explanations for every item but the flag. To Bill Urquitt, it's all still a mystery, the host of the series says. So it came as a surprise when the flag finally turned up, a few months after Urquitt's death. Lord knows I'd had my eyes open for it for a long time, Gordon Jones, a senior military historian at the Atlanta History Center, told me. An artifact dealer from Getzeburg had brought the flag to a relic show in Dalton, and someone spotted it there. The dealer had purchased the flag for $36,000, it was probably worth four times that much, but neither he nor the seller knew anything about the flag's provenance. It had been found, not long before, inside a glass cabinet hidden behind a mess of Civil War memorabilia in Bill Urquitt's basement. The person who'd stolen it, all those years ago, was almost certainly Urquitt himself. 
Depending on where you live, and whether there's much public land nearby, you may have seen a man, usually a man, typically by himself, roaming over a stretch of ground, with a long pole affixed to a coil, listening for little pings indicating the presence of metal underground. In some places, this is called detectorism, but in the south it's called relic hunting, and the most popular relics are those connected to the Civil War. Although metal detecting reportedly caught on among a new crowd during the pandemic, relic enthusiasts are mostly older folks. These days, a 29-year-old dealer of historic firearms told me that he's the youngest person in the industry, and I didn't find reason to doubt him. Lori Cosgrove, who used to run a relic shop in Stone Mountain, told me that the only youngsters she saw at relic shows were kin to the older diggers. Erkwood told friends that he'd been introduced to the hobby in the late 50s or early 60s, when he was about 12 years old. He was in the car with his parents, he said, when he saw a man on the roadside with a metal detector. He got his mother to stop and see what this guy was doing, Perry Bennett, an amateur historian who also maintains a collection of militaria, told me. The guy said, I'm looking for artillery shells from the Civil War. And his name was Beverly DuBose, Jr., the Beverly DuBose, Jr. DuBose, Jr., was an insurance executive from a well-to-do Atlanta family. He also seems to have been among the very first people to hunt for relics with a metal detector. A veteran of the Second World War, he began using a military surplus landmine-locating device, strapped on his back, as early as 1946. Later, he founded the Civil War Roundtable of Atlanta and served as president of the Atlanta Historical Society. Urquid began digging for relics near his parents' house. After he finished high school, he joined the Marines and was sent to Vietnam. When he returned home, he got married, had two kids, and moved into his parents' basement. His father worked as a plumber and electrician, and Urquit did electrical work, too, but perhaps not very much of it. Some of these hunters, they wake up and do a little menial work so they can dig all afternoon, Cosgrove, the former relic shop owner, told me. That was Bill. Urquit, who was six feet tall and nearly 300 pounds, resembled one of those TV wrestlers. Cosgrove said. He had a scar on his stomach, which he said he got from a bayonet in Vietnam, he also said he'd suffered psychological trauma from a plane crash during the war. His primary hunting grounds were in what is now the Cascade Springs Nature Preserve, in southwest Atlanta. The Battle of Utoy Creek was fought there, in 1864. More than a thousand soldiers, mostly on the Union side, were killed or wounded. After it was over, and the North had lost, William Tecumseh Sherman proposed that the U.S. Army make the inside of Atlanta too hot to be endured. Nearly half the city was destroyed. I look on this whole area out here as my family tree, Urquit told a reporter for the Journal Constitution, in the late 70s, when the paper published a long piece about Urquit and the rise of relic hunting. The hobby caught on as commercial metal detectors became available, but it earned a mixed reputation. On one hand, relic hunters are passionate about the past, and some document it with care. DuBose, Jr., eventually donated thousands of his best relics to the Atlanta Historical Society. The relic hunter Tom Dickey, a pal of Urquitt's, and the brother of the novelist James Dickey, sold much of his massive collection to the center as well. 
As a result, according to Scott Stevenson, the president of the Museum of the American Revolution, in Philadelphia, the Atlanta History Center has the best institutional collection from the American Civil War anywhere. I put them up against the Smithsonian, Stevenson added. Video from the New Yorker Parker, One Black Family's Quest to Reclaim Their Name https slash slash www.newyorkcar.com slash video slash watch slash the New Yorker documentary Parker One Black Family's Quest to Reclaim Their Name Hashtag Incid equals underscore CNE interlude New Yorker underscore BA90 abe 4 fdfe underscore text VCN. On the other hand, relic hunters don't always dig carefully or with permission. They often keep what they find. They want to hold history in their hands, Cosgrove said. Some archaeologists compare them to looters. A relic hunter whom I'll call Wilbur told me that Urquhart was especially possessive. Wilbur met Urquhart after digging a cascade several years ago. He thought anything that came out of cascade was stolen from him, another friend and fellow digger told me, recalling Urquhart's delight when the friend had, in Urquhart's words, found me a breastplate. Perry Bennett called this treasure hunter syndrome, the conviction that all of this is my territory and I'm not sharing. Bennett eventually tried to broker a peace between Wilbur and Urquhart. We did this, like, Yalta-esque, map of Europe carving up of who could hunt where in southwest Atlanta, Wilbur recalled. Which I immediately broke. Wilbur, who spoke to me while digging a stranger's yard, without permission, just before Sodwinden, doesn't believe there are many rules for relic hunting, a pastime he described as compulsive, like archaeological scratch-off tickets. Urquhart taught him that the best time to hunt for relics on a stranger's property is Super Bowl Sunday, Wilbur said. Everyone is at their TV, so I can be digging the shit out of their yard, he added. Wilbur said that he tried running a two-man yard crew, so he could dig while the other guy was mowing the lawn. He mentioned a local cemetery where, at one time, if you gave the sexton a bottle of liquor, he'd let you hunt all night. Urquhart was the dawn of this field, according to Wilbur, and also a total Shakespearean kind of villain, a description he intended as a compliment. Urquhart had managed to combine his shadier practices with a place in the more respectable corners of regional history. He fooled a lot of people, Wilbur said. He thought he was untouchable. Earlier this year, I went to see Beverly DuBose three in the mansion that he built, beside a Confederate trench, high above the Chattahoochee River, in a forested corner of North Atlanta. Gordon Jones joined us there. I still have the largest private collection of Civil War artifacts anywhere, DuBose three told me, as we toured the museum-like home. DuBose three, who also collects Chinese armorial porcelain and fine copper vessels, has a speaking voice that sounds about an octave below the actor Sam Elliott's. He showed me everything from rare muskets and swords to an advertisement for a Civil War-era condom. After his father decided to donate relics to the Historical Society, DuBose III helped negotiate the gift. Then he got a phone call from Urquhart. He wanted to be curator of the collection, DuBose said. He got the job and soon traded his digger duds, torn jeans and t-shirts, for a suit. Urquhart helped the Duboses install an early Civil War exhibit and gave occasional talks. The society, which began, in the 1920s, as a sort of club for affluent Atlanta men passionate about their families' histories, started to become more professional. It changed its name to the Atlanta History Center in 1990. 
Jones, a former Civil War reenactor who not only has a bushy beard but a PhD, came aboard the following year, boosting the center's academic credentials. But he saw right away that there was something terribly dysfunctional going on, he told me. He soon learned that Urquhart and Dubose III, who was on the center's board and would later become its president, were not speaking. Urquhart had been demoted to a library role. A handful of valuable items that belonged to the center had gone missing from Dubose's home, where they were being stored, and Dubose was convinced that Urquhart had taken them. The center took Urquhart to court, but was unable to prove its case. There were other forms of pilfering, too, apparently. Urquhart had published articles in a magazine for collectors and other enthusiasts called North-South Traders Civil War, and one of them, about Utoy Creek, had been copied verbatim from a text at the History Center, I was told. When I asked the magazine's longtime editor about this, she told me that if you search Urquhart's name on its website, you won't find any of his articles, because she deleted them all. Dubose, Jones, and I retired to a wood-paneled study where Dubose offered us drinks. Then he began to share his thoughts on the war. The South would have voluntarily ended slavery within a few years, he said. His wife, who had just walked in, suggested that most slaves had likely been treated well, since, adjusting for inflation, they cost as much as sports cars, and it doesn't make sense to damage your car. Moments later, Jones nudged me toward the door, and I said good night. There is, especially but not exclusively in the South, a keener interest in the Confederacy among collectors and relic hunters, along with, often, a wish to see the men who fought on that side as heroic, and a tendency not to look too hard or too carefully at what they were fighting for. Confederate items fetch better prices than Union ones, partly because they're less plentiful, Scott Stevenson, the Philadelphia historian, told me. Sherman had something to do with that. But there's also the whole lost cause idea, Stevenson said, which excites certain collectors. The myth of the lost cause, a stubborn form of pseudo-historical revisionism which holds that the war wasn't really about slavery, and that slavery wasn't actually as horrific as people say, regards the Civil War as an attack on an essentially noble Southern way of life. North-South Traders Civil War, on its website, still refers to the conflict as the war between the states, https colon slash slash archive.newyorktimes.com slash opinionator.blogs.newyorktimes.com slash 2013 slash 08 slash 17 slash the dash name dash of dash war. In all our time together, I don't know that we ever talked about slavery, Mike Almond, a relic hunting pal of Urquitz, said. But, Almond added, he was sympathetic to the Southern cause. Bennett told me that he and Urquhart both attended meetings of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Given that their ancestors fought for the South, their Confederate sympathies made sense, he said. I noted that some of my ancestors also fought for that side, but that I found it important to maintain a critical perspective. He warned me not to fall into that woke trap. One day in 1992, at the History Center, Jones recalled, Urquhart said, I'm in some trouble. He didn't explain any further, Jones told me, and he resigned the next day. Later, after the Lost Treasures of Atlanta had aired, Urquhart served briefly as president of the Civil War Roundtable of Atlanta, a group that exists to foster and promote study of the war. But his leadership wasn't welcomed by everyone, DuBose three quit the group in protest. Eventually, Urquhart moved to Tulsa, where he ran an antique shop called Granny's Memories for a while. 
He came back to Atlanta in the early 2000s and returned to his old hunting grounds, but he had lost his foothold in the more respectable corners of his world. In 2008, he applied to join the American Legion. Bennett, a career army officer who retired with the rank of lieutenant colonel, examined his records. Erquid, he said, was in Vietnam for a single day. The scar on his stomach was caused by the removal of a cyst. In June, 2020, Erquit was relic hunting in a yard across the street from his house when he had a heart attack and collapsed. He called Bennett, who called 911, and Erquit was rushed to a hospital. He died later that day. In the weeks that followed, a few people showed up at his house at odd hours, and for dubious reasons, his daughter told me. She found Wilbur trying to get into her father's car, she said, and suspected he was looking for the garage door clicker so that he could break into the house through the garage, he told her he was looking for an old coin of his. Wilbur disputed this version of events. Bennett came by around midnight once, a neighbor told me. Bennett insists that he was just looking after his friend's property. Neither of Urquhart's children ever took much interest in their father's relics. Now they were mourning their dad and also trying to unload a dusty and bewildering estate. It's hard to estimate its value, since so few people saw the entire collection, but an appraiser told me that it might have been worth a few million dollars. Lots of friends showed up to help clear it out, a neighbor, Andy Balk, said. By the time the dealer from Gettysburg arrived, the house had been ransacked, the dealer told me. He said he paid a fair price for a battle flag of unknown provenance that would need to be restored. Daddy said two things were worth a lot of money, one of the flags and a uniform, Urquhart's daughter told me. $36,000 seemed like a lot to her. Sheffield Hale, the president and CEO of the Atlanta History Center, told me that the institution never stopped looking for the flag. We're a history center and we have a long memory. People like Gordon and Bo, they keep an ear to the ground. We're relentless in our pursuit of missing things. After the flag was identified, the dealer handed it over to the History Center, and Urquhart's daughter returned his money. Andy Balk eventually bought his former neighbor's home. A retired electrician in his late 60s, he's still trying to make sense of the man he knew. Urquhart said that he collected large rocks from riverbeds because they had been used by an extinct race of giant humans, Bulk recalled. He quoted the Bible about prehistoric life, Bulk said, while showing me around the home. He said there was a civilization before us and these were their hand tools. Bulk gave the rocks to a friend, who put them in his garden. I flipped through some LPs in the living room, the last few records left from Urquhart's collection. He never listened to music, Bulk said. He just liked having the records. Urquhart's mother, who was religious, hadn't allowed them. Among the things Urquhart left behind were a set of journals. In one entry, he wrote, I love the items on my shelves and their memories and secret thoughts, but even with all my love these things don't love back. They are man-made objects that happen to be involved with my life, traumatic, eventful, pleasant or not the secret emotion lingers until called upon. The entry concludes, these things fill a gap in my life. Later, I spoke with a senior member of the FBI's art crime team. 
People who steal military artifacts tend to have different motivations than those who steal valuable paintings, he said, they usually have a real love interest for this part of history, along with an unhealthy connection to the physical objects that remain. He described it as a hoarder's mentality, people can take objects like this and go underground with them for a generation. Sheffield Hale told me about a man he knew named Robert Skeet Willingham, who was the librarian in charge of rare books at the University of Georgia. In 1988, Willingham was sentenced to 15 years in prison for stealing nearly a third of the collection, some of which was found in his home. If someone on the inside wants to steal something, Hale said, it's very hard to prevent them. In Urquhart's attic, Balk found bicycles, desks, and an ID that belonged to a neighbor's mother. I found a lot of my stuff here, too, including copies of my own photos, he said. If Bill could find something around your house, he'd take it. Urquhart once tried to recruit Balk to join him on a nocturnal mission to dig up a cannon, but Balk declined. Still, they got along. They were both divorces with adult kids and unusual hobbies. Balk collects reptiles, he keeps a few 250-pound Aldabra tortoises in his backyard. One recently escaped. Bill wasn't into reptiles, Bulk said, but he'd keep an eye on the tortoises when Bulk was out of town. Urquhart's daughter said that, whatever her father's flaws may have been, he also did a lot of good. He knew a lot and mentored a lot of people, she said. It bothered her that some of his friends pointed to his alleged misdeeds, but not their own. This whole civil war group, all they did was steal from each other, she said. Balk recorded a video of Urquhart in his final years. I knew Bill was in bad shape and he had so much history to share, Balk told me. In the footage, Urquhart describes working at Granny's Memories. The store had that name, Urquhart says, because that's what lured the money out of their pocket and into my pocket, their warm and fuzzies. He grins. As I get older, the crappy old memories go away, most of them. But the good memories shine out when I see these various things. He stares at something out of view. Every one of them, he says, has a story to tell. Diamond Suit